0: Hey, Konstantin, do you like trigonometry? Of course, what's not to love? Incredible interviews, hilarious raw shows, plus we're going to start doing weekly satirical comedy like the ones that we used to put out. I'm Konstantin Kishin, and you may remember me from Mystin hosting a kid's TV show on Al Jazeera. And
1: I'm Francis Foster, a man who looks like a cross between Louis Theroux and a beaver. We are gonna start doing them but we need your help. As
0: the show grows, Francis and I are finding it increasingly difficult to stay on top of everything we've got to do. With two interviews and three Raw shows every single week, plus loads of ad on top of that, we've got more work on than Justin Trudeau's makeup artist.
1: Do you miss comedy that's actually funny? Comedy that pulls no punches. And isn't all about how we must fight the structures of patriarchal oppression by toxic straight white men. If you
0: want real comedy, you can make that happen. If we can get an extra 250 local supporters by March 15th, we'll be able to outsource a few of the day-to-day things that we do and free up more time to make incredible content for you.
1: It'll be funny, biting, satirical, and not some worthy gimp telling you what to think.
0: It's seven dollars a month, which is five pounds if you live in
1: the civilized world. Join our locals community using the link in the description and help us make comedy great again. Hello and welcome to a very special live episode of Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster.
0: I'm Constantin Kisson.
1: And this is the part two to our brilliant first episode that we did on the very first day of the war in Ukraine, where Ukraine was invaded by Russia. The way the interview is going to work is going to be a little bit like this. We're going to be doing an hour, just myself and Konstantin talking. We're then going to have a break and we're going to have that break to collect your super chats and your PayPal's where you're going to be asking questions to us. And then in the last half an hour, I'm going to be fielding your questions to the both of us or to Konstantin.
0: There we go, mate. Uh, Welcome back. It's part two. Uh, There's a lot to update everybody on. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've spent the last few days, uh, first of all, i spent the last few days thinking about my own views and behavior and positions on this, but also talking to a lot of people on the ground in Russia, in Ukraine, who are involved in one way or another, but also talking to people who used to be in the Russian government, including my dad, who was a minister in the Russian government, whose job it was to deal with former Soviet countries, including Ukraine. And he's got a very different view to me on all of these issues, talking to people who have advised several U.S. presidents, talking to people who are currently in the British government who, who have the inside track and all of this. So there's a lot to talk about.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, so we're going to talk about a few things there. The first thing I wanted to briefly talk about our fundraiser, uh, which we'll do in a second. Also wanted to tell everybody what is happening on the ground in Ukraine, because this isn't really being covered. We're seeing you know, refugees fleeing. We're seeing bombs exploding. But The strategic situation isn't really being properly covered, Mm -hmm. I think, in the West. I also think another thing that's really not being covered or understood in the West at all is what's happening in Russia. And this is very important Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the other stuff we're going to talk about uh, with the the fundraiser and all of that. Is everything all right with the sound, guys? Yeah, Yeah, we're good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the final thing I wanted to talk about is we never really got a chance to, to deal with it. And I think some people would have got the impression that we underestimated or underplayed the the importance of the NATO side of things and mm-hmm. NATO expansion? Was Russia provoked into this? What is the historical and the broader perspective here? And again, on that, I think there's some important things uh, that we've got to share with people. So with that in mind, let's talk about the fundraiser.
1: Absolutely. Now, we're both incredibly proud of the fundraiser. The amount that we've
0: raised. Well, we should tell people the amount as of today, it's 60 60- thousand pounds. Wow. And if you imagine how many people got involved in that mm. and the generosity of people and their willingness to to put something behind their words and the feelings and it's not just thoughts and prayers, mm. people actually doing something is incredible. However, as we let people know on locals a few days ago, you and I both I think had a few reservations mm. about the fact that this money that we raised initially, and this was my idea and I take full responsibility for it. We originally thought that the best use of that money would be to give it to the military in Ukraine to help the Ukrainians defend their country.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And we had some thoughts about it, and on reflection, I don't think that would be the best way to protect people's lives and to help people in Ukraine. And we'll talk about why, and that's really the main reason we wanted to have this discussion. But we want to ask permission of the people who gave us money to allow us to donate that to humanitarian purposes. And if people don't wanna do that, that's their money. We'll give it back to them, no problem. So, But let let us at least explain why our thinking has changed.
1: Yeah, yeah? and I think it's very, very important because we did have a conversation where mm. it, it, it wasn't uncomfortable, but it was a moment of realization from both of us as to what we've done. And it's quite a challenge when you say to mm. hundreds of thousands of people, mm. look, we're raising for this very, very noble cause. Mm. And then you have to not roll back on it, but admit that the money is going to be diverted to still a very worthwhile... Well, no, it's not going to be diverted. If people want
0: their money back, mm. oh, they course. can get it back. Yeah.
1: But, but we're
0: offering them an the opportunity, opportunity to donate it to humanitarian
1: yeah, yeah. causes. That's so it's all. going to be given to humanitarian causes yeah. as opposed to the military. So,
0: And I'll explain why that is. So the first part of that, well, before we get into the first part of that, I just wanted to say from my own perspective, it's mm. been quite a couple of weeks for me mm. personally. I've, you know... I've been dealing with the emotion of my family in Ukraine Mm. being in this position, my family in Russia also being in a strange position as well, going on Question Time, talking about this on different shows. Uh, It's been very emotional. And I think like me, for me, it's much more intense, of course, but for a lot of people in the commentary space and whatever, we've kind of all gone through the the stages of grief, right? Mm. Initially, everybody was in denial. Even when I was saying the invasion is coming, no one wanted to believe mm. it. And even when it happened, I think we all felt slightly in denial about what was going on. It was surreal. It was surreal. Then everybody gets angry. Mm. And I think a lot of people are still stuck in that position. And I was in that position for a period of time last week. Then you go into depression. And mm. I was definitely towards the end of last week as I was starting to really feel what was going on mm. and knowing that my, my family, most of whom are basically now either in occupied territory or about to be. Mm. You know, all of that was very sad. And towards the end of the week, I was feeling very sad. And I've taken some time, and now I've actually, believe it or not, crazy as it sounds, come to a place of acceptance of what's Mm. happening. And and I kind of just remembered, because, you know, I've spent a lot of time doing personal development Mm. of various kinds, that every religion almost and every spiritual teaching It's basically the same thing, which is suffering is caused by trying to pretend that you can change things that you can't.
2: Mm.
0: And there's nothing I can do to change the situation. And the truth is, as I think we'll talk about in a second, I don't think there's a lot any of us can do about Mm. the situation other than help people who are gonna be suffering Mm. from this, which is what I really want us uh, to focus on. So we've all gotta let go of our emotions here Mm. and just look at what is going to be the right thing going forward. And um, I want to apologize, uh, to a few people actually in terms of my behavior last week because i got a bit carried away with yeah. the emotion of it all and so people would say to me well what do you think about this thing that this guy said mm. and i'd be like well i remember this thing he said a week ago the last time i had a chance to read what he said and he was wrong he yeah. was wrong to say there'd be no invasion so he's wrong right mm. well actually for example someone like peter hitchens i spent a bit of time over the weekend reading some of his articles and there's stuff i don't agree with There's a lot of stuff. I mean, he retweeted an article from 2017, which is absolutely accurate and bang Mm. on. And the same with other people. So I just want to say uh, the emotions of the the moment carried me away or I got carried away or whatever. And I've reflected on that. And I think that doesn't help the conversation. Mm. So I'm going to go back to what our mission is here at Trigonometry, which is we are covering what's going on we're chronicling Mm. the decline of Western society (laughs) and the destruction of civilization. Let's stick with that rather Mm. than becoming players in this game, Mm. right? Because I think that's very important. I think that's why people trust what we do and they respect what we do because everybody knows what we think, Mm. but we try and approach things from a balanced perspective. And I think that was starting to go a little bit by the wayside last Mm. week. Um, So uh, I hold my hands up on that Mm. and I apologize for that.
2: Mm.
0: So with that in mind... And this is going to be a very difficult conversation because I'm going to say some things that nobody wants to hear. That doesn't sound like you, mate. No, it doesn't. But (laughs) it's going to, you know, there's a lot of things that people are not going to want to hear on all the sides of Mm. this conversation. So let's first of all look at what is happening in Ukraine Mm. on the ground. What is the narrative that we are hearing in our media right now in the Mm. West, would you say?
1: So our narrative in the media is that we have the Ukrainian Army, the Ukrainian forces, which have been supplemented mm. by ordinary civilians, and even people as like celebrities, mm. athletes, who are putting up a plucky and spirited resistance against the Russian army. I was going to say the Soviet seems mm. more appropriate, mm. against the Russian army, mm. and they're doing really well, and the Russian army are in disarray.
0: I mean, I don't think that's an inaccurate analysis mm. uh, on the face of it. But if you look at the broader picture of what's happening, yes, the Russian army is really struggling. Mm. Yes, they are having deserters. Yes, uh, the equipment is falling apart in some cases. Yes, they're making very slow progress. Mm. Yes, the Ukrainians are very brave. Yes, they're fighting wonderfully. Mm. Yes, the Western weapons are helping, the javelin missiles and the stingers. And yes, they're, they haven't got complete air superiority. Mm. However,
2: mm.
0: however, the truth of it is, the, and by the way in their position, that is what I would be doing if mm-hmm. I was a Ukrainian in Ukraine and my home was being attacked I would be fighting to defend my mm-hmm. country right now, and I have so much respect for their courage and their bravery
2: mm-hmm.
0: however The first thing to say is Anton if you pull up a couple of maps that we talked mm-hmm. about The way that Russia approached this is they positioned their troops on the north side of Ukraine in Belarus mm-hmm on the east side in the two breakaway regions, and on the south side in Crimea. Mm. And they pushed from three directions at the same time. Mm. So they're pushing from the north, they're pushing from the south, and they're pushing from the east. Mm. And yes, their progress is slow in the north, and yes, their progress isn't particularly quick in the east, but they're making very quick progress in the south. Mm. Now, and they're all making progress. Mm. They're stalling in various areas, but they're making progress. Now, the Ukrainians are defending very bravely, but if you look at the map of Kiev in particular, Kyiv is about to be encircled. Mm. So the, the, the Russian army came down from the north side mm. on the western side of the, of the river, and they're about to encircle Kyiv completely.
2: Mm.
0: Cut off supplies, cut off evacuations, cut off medical supplies, cut off, cut off supplies of ammunition, weaponry, reinforcements, all of that. So at the moment, it's looking very much like they're going to at least encircle Kyiv.
2: Mm.
0: Once they do that, they're gonna keep moving south, the southern group is going to keep moving north and west. They're cutting yeah. Ukraine off from the sea to prevent resupplies and all of that. And the eastern group is pushing as well. Now, the Ukrainian army is in the eastern part of Ukraine mm-hmm. primarily, the, the bulk of their army. Mm-hmm. So the moment they complete that line along the, the river, mm-hmm. all of that army is going to be completely encircled and mm-hmm. cut off. Right? This is... How in, in World War II the Germans blitz, blitzkrieged their way through huge swathes of Soviet mm. territory, all they did is they just enveloped armies, encircled them mm. and cut them off. They didn't kill that many people. They were most, they were they were killing one for every 12 prisoners that they took. Mm. And the way they did that is by enveloping. So while Ukraine is putting up a very brave resistance, from a military perspective, mm. it's not looking good. Okay. So that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is when you speak to people in Ukraine on the ground, they're very brave and they're determined and they're defending their homes. And you can only respect that mm. and support that and, and and all of that. But they also all say, look, if they don't quote unquote, this is how they say it in Russian Ukrainian, close the sky, which, by which they mean a no-fly zone, it's a matter of time. Mm. okay. And as I said two weeks ago, the West is not going to mm. implement a no-fly zone because that would be the start of World War III. Now, there have been some suggestions of how, how that could be gotten around. For example, Poland said, look, why don't we give our planes to the Americans and the Americans then donate them to Ukraine? That way, Russia can't say we gave planes to Ukraine and invade us, mm. right? Well, Anton, if you pull up that article as well, um, the US have knocked that back because they know mm. what, they know how dangerous that is. They're not going to allow planes or anti-aircraft systems, prop, not Stingers, but other stuff, to, to go to Ukraine. So they're not going to close the sky. And even the Ukrainians on the ground who are determined and driven, etc., are all saying, you know, it's a matter of time unless that can happen. Mm. And that's not going to happen. Mm. And the third thing that, that we should say as well is for reasons that we'll get into when we talk about what's happening in Russia, Russia is pulling up weaponry that it hasn't really yet used. It may use it going forward, but it hasn't yet used. And what, what we're talking about is not nuclear weapons. It's not quite chemical weapons, but it's horrific weaponry that is designed to flush people out from defensive positions. These mm. are called, uh, there's, they have various names. The Russians call them vacuum bombs. Uh, they're called air fuel bombs in, in English uh, and um, thermobaric munitions. Mm. And what they do is it's, it's a two... Com- There's two compartments in the bomb. The first Mm -hmm. explosion is a small one, and what it does is it spreads small particles of combustive material, fuel basically, Mm. into the air around it. And the second explosion ignites it and creates a fireball that spreads rapidly, Mm. uh, killing anyone in the fireball area. But it also sucks all the oxygen; it consumes all the oxygen in that area. Mm. So even if you don't get burned alive, you suffocate and your lungs rupture and you die in 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 an awful way. Right. And this is a way to destroy defensive positions that Mm. otherwise couldn't be destroyed. So if you've got some kind of reinforced bunker or whatever, as long as it's not completely sealed. Right. Mm. That's what and these are awful weapons. And my concern is the longer this goes on and the longer Mm. that Ukrainians are putting up a fight, the more likely it becomes that Russia is going to use heavier and heavier weapons, as they are already starting to do in terms of shelling. Just to interrupt yeah. you there,
1: what's the radius of these weapons? If one it of depends these... on the
0: size. It depends on the size. Right, so okay. the Americans use them in, in Afghanistan mm. to flush people out from caves, what to kill people in caves, really. Mm. Uh, and they, they can be as small as a hand grenade, or they can be a huge 42-ton bomb. Wow. Uh, So and Russia has all of those. So the Americans made one of these bombs called the mother of all bombs and in response The Russians made one called the father of all bombs (laughs) Right. These are horrible weapons and the longer this carries on is my point The more Mm. likely things like that are going to be used right Mm. now Why do I think it's a matter of time and why am I so So convinced that Russia will amplify the level of destruction Mm. You have to look at what's happening in Russia Mm. You have to look at what's happening in Russia now I've spoken to people in Russia, of all, and we'll talk about is, was Russia provoked and is blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's just focus on what's actually happening. So I spoke to my aunt, for example, who lives in Armenia. Armenia is a Russia-friendly country in mm. the Caucasus where Russian people would be welcome. Mm. And normally there are three to four flights between Russia and Armenia mm. a day. My aunt said last week on the day I spoke to her, it would have been Saturday or Sunday. There were 42. Wow. And that's because the people in Russia who are against this are all fleeing. Mm. Most of them are fleeing or many of them are fleeing. And the rest of them are going on small protests a few thousand at a time Mm. and being arrested. I think at the last count, it's about six or 8,000 people that have been arrested mm-hmm. in Russia for protesting. So the people who are against this are either leaving mm. or making protests that are not going to be effective and being arrested, mm. okay? is shut down. Facebook is shut down. All Western social media is shut down. All TV channels that deviate from the official line mm. are shut down and closed, right? And every day on Russian television, they do three-hour marathons with this guy called Soloviev who hosts the main show, mm. which is, it's not like question time where you get people with different views, mm. even in in the, in the format that, you know, people will say, well, question time doesn't really represent blah, blah, blah. Sure, but it's not like that. It's one opinion, mm. right? And it's very powerfully delivered. I felt sick watching it. And what they're saying is, there's a genocide happening in Ukraine. Ukraine is run by Nazis, et cetera, to the point where there's videos now of uh, captured Russian soldiers saying, I, I thought, I I I'm shocked because I th- I thought there'd be swastikas everywhere.
2: Mm.
0: That's what people are being told. And that's what they think.
2: Mm.
0: Um, so the, the the Russian media communication strategy is very powerful. They're showing really like emotionally driven clips of refugees fleeing r- Ukrainian Nazis and, and all of that, uh, quote unquote. Um, so support for Putin is rising. Mm. Uh, People are blaming the sanctions and the war on the West, primarily. Sure, the people who are against the war feel stronger about the war being wrong, uh, but the vast majority of people are more on Putin's side. And they're building a kind of new... uh, I don't know how to describe it. I think you have to see it for yourself. Mm. So we have a little video, and it's in Russian. So I'll just explain very briefly what they're talking about. So they're saying... Uh, We are in in St. Petersburg, which used to be called Leningrad, Mm -hmm. a city that, in which eight hundred thousand people starved Mm -hmm. to death during World War II because it was cut off from Russia Mm -hmm. by the Germans, Uh, the blockade of Leningrad, as it was known. And they're there in St. Petersburg, and they're saying, "Do you really think that we here in St. Petersburg, where we starved to death to Mm -hmm. fight Nazis, and do you think we're going to give up because we don't have dollars and iPhones?" Mm -hmm. And they're saying, "We have to. Our boys are over there in Ukraine." pulling the noose around the throat of fascism
2: mm-hmm. and
0: nazism and it's our job here to protect our streets from traitors and provocateurs they're talking about protesters mm-hmm. right uh, and at the end as you'll see they chant for, for russia for putin for russia for the president right and i just want people to get a visual sense and a, a, just a, a feeling of what that's like so anton let's play that video eto gorod geroy leningrad
1: Великую Отечественную более 800 тысяч ленинградцев отдали своей жизни, но они не сдались. Неужели вы думаете, что мы, потомки людей, которые годами умирали от голода, но били фашистов и держали фронт, продадим родину
0: за доллары и айфоны? Своими принципами мы не поступимся. Мы никогда не променяем своих героев на персонажей Марвел. В советской армии блокадники
1: разорвали фашистское кольцо вокруг Ленинграда. Задача наших военных сейчас насмерть затянуть петлю на шее нацизма. Прекратить, наконец, восьмилетнюю войну и ужас на Донбассе. Защитить наших людей, вынужденных бороться за право свободно говорить на родном языке. А наша задача защитить улицы российских городов от предателей и провокаторов. Работайте, братья! За Россию! За президента! За Россию! За президента! За Россию! За Путина! За
2: Россию! За президента!
1: Here we go, Francis. Now, I've just seen that and to Western eyes, that looks quite amateurish, dare I say it. And it looks like it's presented by three fat grad students at university. Indeed. Uh, however, first of all, one of the things that people
0: are asking in the chat is what does the Z stand for? No one knows. They've invented a new symbol
1: that no one knows what it stands for now. Uh, because there was a Russian gymnast a uh, couple of days ago yes. on the podium, yes, who was roundly criticised for for that
0: symbol. So it's a new symbol, nobody knows what it means. But essentially, what they're trying to do is create a new ideology. And and the reason I brought up the point at the end where they're shouting for Russia for Putin, hmm. imagine this through the Western eyes. How many American soldiers do you think are wherever they are now going for America for Biden, or how many people in the UK are go soldiers in the UK or people who support British soldiers
1: would be shouting
0: for Britain for for Johnson or for Boris?
1: But is that part of the reason for that? Isn't that because of our democracy? In yes.
0: That- well, that's my point exactly. Yeah. What I'm the point I'm trying to make to you is they are I'm not saying they've got to the cult of personality stage mm. but Putin has become not just the president not someone who's employed by the people to administer the country but he's now seen as the head of state mm. like the queen for queen and country mm-hmm. right so in other words there is a kind of permanence to this thing and there's an is there's a personality issue there that they're embracing now look people can say I'm being critical of this or not I'm just Telling you what's happening, and I'm showing it to you. I'm not. I'm not advocating against or for or whatever. I'm just telling you what's going on, right? So, Russia is building a a national identity that is based around a strong leader, the nation, etc. Right? So that's what's going on, and there is no question that for Vladimir Putin now this is existential. He the, the entire country is now in the grips of. Uh, The idea that Ukraine is overrun by Nazis, that these Nazis have committed genocide against people in the east of Ukraine, uh, that this is the fight against fascism that that Russia did and the Soviet Union did in the last century, and this is its mission.
2: Mm.
0: He can't come back from that. He can't row back from that. There is no coming back from that without a win, right? Mm. So... There's absolutely no question in my mind that he's going to do whatever is necessary to win the fight.
2: Mm.
0: And unless the West is prepared to get involved, which it's not and it shouldn't in my opinion, mm-hmm. purely because that would start World War Three, and I don't think that's a good idea. Mm. <sighs> I mean, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but in my opinion, the likelihood of Ukraine winning this is very slim. And what's worse about that is, in my opinion, the harder the fight is, all the only thing that will change is the number of casualties on both mm. sides. It's not going to change the outcome at this point. Now, I could be wrong. But if that's what I believe, and I honestly believe that, and I'm I, I say it for the 50th time, I could be wrong. But I do believe that very strongly now based on, conversations that i've had with people who know what's going on i'm very uncomfortable at giving what is essentially a hundred thousand dollars to ukraine to intensify that fight Mm. whereas there will be millions of people in ukraine who are desperately in need of humanitarian aid supplies medical equipment Mm. you know blankets all that sort of stuff and that stuff will definitely be useful and it's definitely not going to hurt anyone right Mm. whereas if that money from the fundraiser goes to the military. In my opinion, ninety nine point nine percent. All it will do is end up killing more people because more people are involved. Now, it's, a, it's an awful conversation to have. Mm. It's an awful conversation, and I don't. I don't want to be the person sitting here going, "Oh, we must just let the Ukrainians, you know, or we must force them to surrender." If I was a Ukrainian, or if I was in Ukraine, I'd be fighting for my country too. Mm. But as we sit here now, I, I, I can't, in good conscience, give that money to be spent on weapons or whatever so like i say if people want to if people are okay to trust us on this one and go with the humanitarian aid option Mm -hmm. i would be very grateful Mm -hmm. i'd be really really grateful because we've raised an awful lot of money and that money can do a lot of good but like i said if people want their money back because they wanted to go to the military we'll give it back to them and we'll give them the account to which they can send it Mm -hmm. okay so that's My ask—that's what I ask of people—to trust us one more time and allow us to give it to humanitarian purposes, if that's okay. If not, please contact us, and we'll we'll give you a refund.
1: And and I think it's worth reiterating again that this is not a decision that we have taken lightly. No, this isn't something that we gave a five-minute conversation to. This came after a lot of thought, after a lot of discussion. This came from you having a lot hours-long discussions with different people. This is a considered. Opinion. And it's something I can tell is, you know, is obviously very, very painful for you Mm. having to make that decision.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that I feel responsible and I am responsible because you and Anton and I talked about it and that was my idea. And I asked you if you're okay with it. And you guys were okay with it. Mm. But I think on reflect it was my my I it was a decision initiated by me and you followed my lead on it. And I feel like I took us down the wrong path. And I feel like I took people down the wrong path. And I didn't know what I didn't know, but mm. but it was a mistake and I regret it. So I ask people to forgive me for that and to, to, to trust me one more mm-hmm. time, to trust us one more yeah. time. Now, we've talked about what's happening on the ground in Russia and Ukraine. Now, I think there's a historical part mm. that we should talk to, about here as well. Mm.
1: There's one thing that I want yeah. to talk about yeah, when, yeah, we, go, when, it, when we're it. talking about Ukraine, which I think is very interesting and very important. Mm. And you described it as a bit of a side issue, but I still feel mm-hmm. it's important to talk about it. And it's President Zelensky. Yeah. Now he's been painted in the Western mm-hmm. media as this kind of incredible statesman, somebody who is leading, mm-hmm. you know, the fight against his nation, against you know the Russian nation. He is everything that a good statesman should be. Yeah. Is it as clear cut as that?
0: I don't know. Do you want to criticize a man who's defending his country and leading his people in defending it? I don't. I think he's an incredibly brave man. Mm. Uh, whether he's making all the right decisions, I don't know. As you can hear from what I've said, I, I, I don't personally think Ukraine continuing to fight to the last man is the right decision. Mm. But I sit here in, the, in a comfortable London studio. Mm. He's in Kiev being bombarded every day, seeing his people being maimed and killed, mm. seeing children killed, uh, seeing Russian soldiers commit atrocities and seeing his own soldiers commit atrocity because that's what war is. Mm. It's an awful thing. I'm not going to sit here and criticize Zelensky mm. one bit. He's a man
2: yeah.
0: and he's done what a man should do in that situation. And if you're a man and you want to, you know, we talk about how, oh, there's a sort of feminized West, blah, blah, blah. Well, when war comes, it's time to step the fuck up, mm. you know. So I've got no criticism of President Zelensky whatsoever. I think he's doing what most people would do in his position or should do in his position. Is he able to make the best geostrategic decisions? Is he able to, on two hours sleep a night and threats of death every day, do the right thing for his country, not knowing exactly what the outcomes are? Is he able to balance motivating his army at the same time of thinking about what the right peace would be? That's not for me to judge, man. Mm. And people who are not in that position should really just be quiet. Mm. I have no criticism to make of him. We can talk about all this other stuff. Did he make the right decision here? Did he make the right... But right now, the man's defending his country and he's leading his defence. I've got no word of criticism of him whatsoever.
1: Mm. So that being the case, we're now going to move on and look at the historical context and the geopolitical context of this. So, So let's delve into it.
0: Let's. So, the first thing to say, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Let me just see how much time we've got left. So, okay, cool. So, we've got another probably 20, 25 minutes before we go to our break and questions so people can submit their questions, super chats, PayPal, all that. The one thing I've been thinking about very carefully about this situation over the last few days is the fact that any situation has a different meaning, any event has a different meaning depending on. The perspective from which you look at it, yeah. and let me explain what I mean, so my wife and I are about to have our first child mm-hmm. for my wife and I, that is a huge, tremendous just incredible thing. It is wonderful, and we're delighted and we can't wait and it's blah blah blah, yeah. right It's amazing on the level of the individual at the level of our friends and family and community, it's a really nice thing
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's lovely right but but it's not it's not the the most important thing that's ever happened in your life, right. It might be the most important thing in mine, but it's not in yours and certainly in our trigger family and whatever, people are happy about it, but it's not the most important thing in their life. At the level of our nation, it's a statistic. One other baby is born, right? Mm. And at the level of the planet, some people might argue, (laughs) it's a bad thing Mm. because we're adding to the overpopulation of the world. Some people, I'm not saying I agree Mm. with that, but some people might argue. So your perspective determines how you look at things, Mm. right? And that's going to be important as, as we carry on. Now, it's going to take me a little time to set this up, but this is really important. Uh, there was a, a British historian uh, called Arnold Toynbee who wrote a, a book called The Study of History. And there's a lot of stuff in that that people think is not right or or whatever, and he's since been, quote-unquote, somewhat discredited, and, and people don't agree with every way that he looked at it. And one of the reasons is that what his conclusions were uh, very dissonant. They were very frustrating to people in the West Mm. because his central argument essentially denied Western exceptionalism Mm. and denied the idea that Western culture is better than other cultures.
2: Mm.
0: But we, we don't need to get into that because I'm not even saying what he said is true. I'm just saying it's a useful metaphor for thinking about this whole conflict because the basic, the very basic concept that he came up with was the idea that, on the geopolitical stage over historical periods of time, hundreds of years, it is not nations that are actors in that world, but it's civilizations. Mm. So think about it in the current context. If Belgium felt very strongly about what's happening in Ukraine, mm. is there much that they could do?
1: Well, they control the EU, so yes. Well, Belgium. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Belgium controls the EU, <laughs> unless you have some
0: information I'm not, I'm not aware of, right? Sorry, I've
1: spoken to too many hardline Brexiters. Point taken, agreed.
0: Yeah. So Belgium isn't deciding what the Western world does. Mm. You could argue that America is deciding what the Western mm. world does, right? Yeah. But if every other country in the Western world opposed what America did, they'd really have a hard time doing it. Yeah. So that's why, for example, in the Iraq war, they really were desperate to get Britain on board. They yeah. could have gone and done it by themselves, right? But they were they were desperate to get at least Britain on board, and they wanted France and Germany, which didn't go along in that instance. So the act, and, and that means that, yes, America is the leading power in the Western world, mm. right? But... There is also reverse feedback where the rest of the civilization feeds back into the main one, okay? Yeah. So, so it's not Belgium or Britain or France that is doing things, yeah. it is Western civilization. And if you think about it, one of the big questions people always talk about is why is Australia and New Zealand Considered a Western country. Mm. Well, the reason is that we are all descendants of the Western Ro- Roman Empire, the Western European Christians who then spread out around the world. So, Latin America is part of Western civilization. Mm. Even North America, obviously part of Western civilization. Australia, New Zealand, basically the descendants of the Western part of the Roman Empire. Mm. Right. The other civilization is the Eastern part of the Roman Empire, the the Byzantine mm. and the remnants of that. And Russia is the leading nation within that civilization and there's four others there's the indian to the chinese uh, and the two islamic ones the mm-hmm. persians and the arabs right the sunni and the shia or the shia and the sunni and his argument was that over historical time periods these civilizations come into conflict with each mm-hmm. other and they are in constant struggle for land for power for money for control of territory etc and they all have what they consider to be their own historical space Right. So eastern Ukraine, Kiev and to the east of that, is in every way unquestionably historically part of the orthodox eastern Christian civilization. Right. And Poland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, they are parts of western Christian civilization, which Stalin was able to steal. And Western Ukraine as well, mm. because the Western civilization was having a, a, a bitch fest. They were fighting for, the, for control of who controls Western civilization. Because remember, World War II was not a world war. Mm. It started as a fight between Germany and Britain and France, essentially, for who is the top dog in the West, mm. right? Germany wanted to be top dog, and Britain and France didn't want to let them. And that's why the conflict over Poland mm. happened. Again, remember, I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying this is a useful frame for thinking about the situation. So Hitler was willing to allow the Soviet Union to take Latvia, Stone, Lithuania, what is now Western Ukraine and pieces of Poland, in order to allow him complete freedom to deal with the British and with the French. Mm -hmm. And once he dealt with the British and the French, quite naturally, he went, well, how about we deal with the Eastern civilization, which I also want to enslave and destroy? Right, because this is how great civilizations work. They don't, they don't form permanent alliances. They can only be allied for periods of time mm. against someone else. Mm. Right? So the moment his, that alliance outlived itself, and particularly there's some evidence that he thought Stalin was about to attack, mm. he began that war. So what does that mean here? Well, NATO expansion. Right. We talked about this, and when you asked me last time, I, w- I know I came across as somewhat dismissive of mm. the idea that NATO expansion and Western influence in in Eastern Europe had had contributed to this process. You asked me Do you think that's true? And I said it's impossible to tell whether this would have still happened, right? Uh, and I still agree with that because we've been living all of us in the commentary space I think in this false dichotomy this idea that either Vladimir Putin's an expansionist authoritarian. He was always going to go west or NATO has provoked poor uh, fluffy Vladimir Putin with his bunny ears or whatever Mm. to to react brutally. Of course, it's perfectly possible for both of those things to be true. Mm. And the civilizational dimension will tell you, if you believe it, that the Eastern civilization will always try to push West when it can, Mm. and the Western civilization will always try to push East when it can. So on that basis, if you look at it through history, this basically happens in ukraine once a century
2: mm.
0: right this basically happens in ukraine once a century because it is on the border between these two great civilizations mm. and this is very important particularly when we talk about the nuclear side of this because you might say and people and i sort of questioned it as well it's like well why does why does russia care about the nato expanding into ukraine right it's like we're not going to attack them with nuclear weapons. That would be insane. Hmm. Right. That would be insane at the level of the nation, right? No no one thinks Boris Johnson's about to, to launch a nuclear <laughs> strike on Russia, right? And it's insane at the level.
1: La- That's true. <laughs>
0: she she can ask very nicely. No one thinks that. But the level of civilization and history, you have to look at it on a broader scale and go, look, Russia was invaded by the leader of Western civilization in nineteen 19- 1941 in World War II, before that by Napoleon, and on and on and on it goes. So the idea that we've reached some kind of new peaceful world in which no war will ever happen again, we can have that illusion at the level of the individual, of the community, of the nation, but the level of civilization, we know historically speaking, every great civilization tries to destroy its neighbors if it can, or at least compete with them in a way that will be to the detriment of the other. And so at that level of abstraction, I mean, if you've got to be thinking it from their point of view, Mm. and I'm telling you this because that's how they think about it. I know this. Mm. That's how they think about it. If the West had complete dominance and was able to destroy Russia without being able to, without Russia being able to destroy the West in return. Well, they might not launch nuclear weapons, but they'd certainly demand things of Russia that Russia doesn't want to give up. They could bully Russia into Mm. doing things. So we are in a new arms race, and we are in a new Cold War, as I said two weeks ago. So I think this civilizational analysis kind of helps to understand that tension and that conflict and why, of course, NATO expansion contributes to Russia Mm. being bullish in pushing westwards. Mm. Now I personally do think that a, a president of a country who's been in power for 23 years, who's destroyed any semblance of democracy, any semblance of the free press, who said that the collapse of the Soviet Union is the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20, 20th century, who's talk about creating the Russian world, etc., he was always going to move west if the west retreated. Mm. And think about this, what if NATO wasn't in Latvia, Estonia, mm. Lithuania, Poland, etc right? Do you think he would have just sat on his hands? That's the question that I think people need to ask themselves. So when people, very well-educated people, uh, and who people who are making good points, John Meyerheimer, um, Vladimir Posner, both people I, I really want us to get on the show, and so do you. When they talk about, well, we've provoked Putin, okay, let's accept that argument. If we were in the internet age in 1938, people would say, well, the Versailles Treaty of Versailles provoked Hitler. Mm-hmm. And I, just to be clear, I'm not saying Putin is Hitler. I'm not saying he has a racial animus. I'm not saying he wants to enslave everybody around the world at all. But he wants control over those territories that used to be part of his world as he sees it. So there's always an explanation of why things are happening. And in any relationship, as you know, both parties are responsible. So I, I do think we underplayed when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago the NATO angle of this because. I, frankly, was stuck in the false dichotomy of, well, either it's Putin or it's the West provoking him. It's both. Right. Uh, So that's kind of what I think has given me this ability to come to acceptance that this was always going to happen. And I, I don't know that, you know, it could have been avoided. Now, personalities matter. Right. Russia could have had a different precedent. And that president could have resolved this differently. America could have handled this differently. And if it had a different president, President Trump, I don't think this would have happened. Even now, uh, even as far as NATO has provoked Russia, whatever he would have found some way to negotiate, or and also he would have been much scarier for for Russia to upset in the situation. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are, uh, and that's why I think I'd, I'd, I I'm asking people to let us donate this money for humanitarian causes because. Russia cannot, they, they can't give up. They're not going to stop. They're going to flatten what they need to flatten. Because for them, this is existential. This is civilizational. For Putin, it's personal. And the the, the, the way things are in Russia now, they're not going to give up, man. They're not. The sanctions are only fueling their, they're emboldening them. Now look, over a 10-year period, if we keep the sanctions up, yeah, people are going to get pissed off with Putin mm. for, for, for what, what's going on. But they're not going to end this war. So that's my position on it. I don't Do you, know if that makes any sense.
1: You no, know, it makes complete sense. I want to talk about sanctions a little bit. Yeah. So there's been some very intelligent people mm. who've been making the point that all you're doing with these sanctions mm. is driving them further, uh, driving Putin further and further into the arms of the CCP. Mm. Do you agree with that? Because you're cutting them off with trade from the West. They're going to become isolated. Their only option is going to be trading with the other superpower, who Mm. are obviously the Chinese.
0: I don't know enough about that to really say what's going on. I mean, it would seem to me to be a reasonable conclusion, yeah. Mm.
1: But it's a worry, isn't it? Because if you isolate Russia, it's it's what uh, Sun Tzu said, you've got to give them the golden bridge when they retreat. You Mm. can't humiliate them. Mm. And if you constantly isolate them and you're going to financially cripple them, then eventually that's their only option.
0: You, you you yeah absolutely the only thing is i mean china from what i understand and look as i said i don't know much about this so just take that with a pinch of salt they've played a very neutral hand on this one mm. they they've they've they voted they abstained in the vote the the, the russian tv is full of pro china stuff right now mm-hmm. so they're desperate to do that what the chinese are going to do we don't know because the chinese are a much more natural enemy to russia Than the West is.
1: Well, they share a border.
0: Well, they share a massive border, and the far east of Russia is essentially being slowly taken over by Chinese people. Mm. Uh, They're just moving there. A a lot of the organized crime in the east of Russia is Chinese. I can see you've got a joke in your mind. You sound
1: like a Russian UKIP, mate. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I used to, when I used to be a translator, I used to translate a lot of stuff about the migration statistics from that area. There's a very heavy inflow of Chinese labor, Mm. Chinese business people into the far east of Russia. So, whether China and Russia are going to get along is an interesting question um, that I don't know enough about to answer. But that, that's just what I know about it. See, to to
1: me, it's an interesting situation because you have China on one side who superficially I thought they would have been alive, mm. allies. But what you're saying makes it seem not the case. They might be. They might be, but we don't know. But they haven't come out. And you would yeah. have thought if they're going to be allies, they would have come out and been yeah. loud and proud.
0: And you gotta remember as well, like nobody actually wants nuclear war. You know, this narrative that uh mad Vlad or whatever,
2: mm.
0: I, I think he he's certainly dictatorial and he's becoming you know culty. Mm. I don't think he's mad. And the people in charge of China very smart people. So none of nobody wants nuclear war. Uh, so they're going to try and stabilize the situation as best they can. And what that looks like, we don't know.
1: I remember you said on Question Time mm. that if he was backed into a corner, if mm. he, there, was, there, there was no way out, he would... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So but, let's but, just explore Well, that. backed
0: into a corner is like fucking NATO troops on the border of Russia. That's what I mean. Really? Yeah. Then, though, of course. Well, if NATO gets involved, I mean, that's his only play because NATO would crush Russia in a conventional war.
1: mm and how much do you think this is insecurity of Russia? It's sort of, a, it's a cross way to describe it, mm. but a midlife crisis almost. You know, Russia looking back to the glory days of Putin, looking back to the glory days of the Soviet well, Union. Well, if you
0: talk to Vladimir Posner, that's what he would say is the, the big Russian complaint is, we are a great civilization mm. and you tried to keep us in the box. Mm. We, we've got the most nukes in the world why are you trying to keep us in a box why are you trying to intrude on what is our civilizational territory why are you not not treating us as an equal that's what people would say mm. and you've got to understand that a huge part of the russian mindset mm. every 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 nation particular and every civilization they have their own myth mm. and i don't mean myth as in this is bollocks and we should dismiss it and laugh at it i mean i mean that an idea that we all buy into, whether consciously or subconsciously.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And the Western myth, essentially, is based, lately at least, on the Amer- the, the American Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and, and the Revolutionary War and, and all of that. Mm. And the myth is basically this. We have created the perfect society, mm. right? We have found the rules and regulations and the way of looking at the individual and society and government that gives people maximum freedom and maximum wealth. And that is the purpose of life. Mm. And we are now the luckiest, most fortunate, most successful people in the world. The freest people in the world. The freest people in the world. And that's who we are. And that is our myth. And therefore, we must spread this to other people. Mm. We must share this beautiful freedom and, and, and prosperity with others. That is the Western civilizational myth. The Russian national myth is based on our long history of trying to catch up to the West, mm. right? The, the the Russian national myth is, look, we are just as good as those guys over there, but technologically and in many other ways, we've been behind. Mm. And they don't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. And we are strong. We sacrificed 20 million lives to defeat nationalism. We won that war. It was us, mm. Right. And, and the Americans landed right at the end of the war to take some of the glory in, on the beaches of Normandy. And yeah, they did a little bit. That's the narrative. I'm not saying it's true. Um, and tried to take credit for our success. So yeah, maybe, maybe we're a bit backward and maybe we're a bit technologically behind, but we are strong. Mm. We are strong. How dare you not treat us as equals? That's the Russian national myth. Mm. So these two myths are colliding mm. in a very big
1: way. But it's also as well, you look at the economy in Russia, it's the size of the the Italian economy, is that?
0: But this is what I'm saying to you. This is exactly what I'm saying to you. You are doing the Western myth Mm. to Russia. You're going, well, you're not very rich. And I'm going, yeah, but I've got 100, however many, 10,000 nuclear weapons. What does it matter how rich I am when I can destroy the whole world? And this is what people don't understand. Mm. Russia has enough nuclear weapons that it doesn't need to fire them. If Russia detonated its nuclear weapons in Russia, life on Earth would end. So if you've got that kind of clout Mm. behind you, you want to be taken seriously. Of course. And that's the issue with the nuclear age that we live in now is there are countries in the world that cannot lose in Mm. a war. Doesn't mean they're going to win, but they will not lose.
1: Mm. You see what I'm saying? I completely understand what you're saying. And there's quite a few people who, or there's people talking about that maybe what we need to do is, you know, just get rid of Vlad, put somebody else in charge. Yeah, that to me seems like a completely ridiculous idea.
0: It's a misunderstanding of the situation. I understand why people are saying it because whenever there's a problem, we sort of it's a Stalin approach: no men, no problem. Yeah. The problem you've got in russia particularly with what i talked about earlier with the way that the country is right now and also again the civilizational dimension of how threatened they feel you remember uncle vlad there is a a a sort of range of possibilities that looks like this right Mm -hmm. and vlad is on the authoritarian violent side of that for sure but could be further in that direction
1: i mean you've got history
0: correct I mean, by historical standards of of the Russian nation, remember what I said, never had a democracy, ever. Mm -hmm. Never had a single democratic transition of power, ever, right? Vladimir Putin, but I'm not saying I agree with it. (laughs) I don't like it. That's why I live in the West. Mm. But by the Russian standards, he's pretty sort of middle of the road.
1: He's a liberal Democrat.
0: Uh, he's He's a sort of, you know, I don't know he's a liberal Democrat. I think that's pushing it a little bit. You should know the liberal Democrat party in Russia is the most like extremist pro-war bomb America party ever. It's incredible. But anyway, he's pretty middle of the road Mm. by the standards of Russian history. So careful what you wish for, my friend. And also, here's another thing. You come at the king, you best not miss.
2: Mm.
0: What happens if you miss? What happens if there's an assassination attempt, and you fail? Well, now his life is on the line. What's he gonna do then? You wanna roll those dice?
1: That, you do not want to see that, because that's when things could get, I mean, things are obviously awful. Yeah. But that's taking it to another level.
0: Yeah, so look, the long-term perspective is we're in a Cold War, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. We are going to have to win that Cold War, but there's going to be a few see of the pants moments, mm. squeaky-bum times mm. coming along the way, I think.
1: Man, well, look, what the hell do I know? But that's my opinion. So eventually, for the long term, you think that... What is the future of Ukraine, do you think?
0: Well, like I said, I'm not a military expert, I'm mm-hmm. not a political expert, so I'm just giving you my opinion, mm. and it could be wrong, Yeah, but... I think Russia, one way or another, is going to win this war. They're going to enforce their demands one way or another. And their demands are to take Crimea, to give independence to the two eastern regions. And the other two is really what all the fuss is about, which Mm. is neutral Ukraine, I'm using inverted commas, Mm. by which they mean going back to when Russia essentially decided who was the president of Ukraine and what policies they'll have. And by the way, Zelensky may even stay in power. Mm. They might keep him as a nominal like... President but it will be the prime minister a russian appointed guy basically who decides what happens in the country so a neutral ukraine essentially a ukraine that does everything that russia wants and uh, Demilitarization which means basically Preventing the ukrainians from being strong enough to ever fight russia again Mm
2: -hmm.
0: removing nato weaponry, etc And what they call denazification by which they mean basically getting rid of the as we talked about before uh, with roger morehouse there is a historical issue in one part of Ukraine with uh, Ukrainian nationalists who are of the fascist variety. Mm-hmm. And he wants to deal with those, of course. But really, it's just about getting rid of people who have taken a pro-Ukrainian nationalist mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Some of them will be Nazis, a small percentage, tiny percentage. Uh, like in every country, th- there are some people who are extremists. Uh, and the rest of them will just be people who have been very vocally pro-Ukrainian and against the Russian and it, and it will mean also changing the cultural direction of Ukraine so that they, they have Russian telev- Russian-speaking TV and Russian is taught in schools and blah 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 blah
1: So it become more like Belarus basically
0: uh, Belarus is a different case because they've got a, a president for life it's a little bit different but yeah culturally probably mm. something like that. this is one of the reasons I say that this was always going to happen because people have been persuaded by commentators in the West to think that, oh, in 2014, there was a coup, and then Ukraine took a Western direction. Well, first of all, to say it was a Western-sponsored coup is not accurate. Mm. The West was involved, for sure. Ukraine was moving in the Western direction from literally 1991. I remember my own grandfather Mm. uh, who was, I I loved him, I loved growing up on his farm in in Ukraine, in in the Russian part of Mm. Ukraine. And he always spoke Russian, all the time I knew him. The moment the Soviet Union collapsed, he started speaking ukrainian and i remember it cuz it used to piss the hell out of me mm. it pissed me off because i was like granted i don't understand a word you're saying <laughs> so many many people in an independent ukraine moved in a in a westwards direction and in a pro ukrainian direction mm. to the point where like my wife used to say like why are all these people speaking ukrainian badly when they're <laughs> russian speakers russian speakers were trying to learn ukrainian mm. and they wanted the wealth and the prosperity and the democracy that that we have in the West, and think about this: people talk about, oh, there's a, there's a Western coup. Well, President Zelensky
2: mm.
0: wasn't didn't come to power as a result of a coup. Mm. The, per- the person who came to power in 2014 as a result of the uh, of the of that revolution was they call it the Revolution of Dignity uh, was a man called Petro Poroshenko. Mm. He was replaced in a free and fair election mm. by Vladimir Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky who got most of his votes from eastern and central Ukraine. Mm. And he ended up having, I think, about 75% of the total vote. Mm. He's a freely elected man in a democracy, a Jewish comedian. Mm. So that's why they this talk about, all oh, the Nazis are running around in, in Ukraine. The, people in the West can say what they want. I, I'm not going to argue with them anymore. I've decided there's nothing I can do to change people's minds. I'm just going to say what I know and what I think, and people can take it from there. So that's to me, why this was always going to happen. Ukraine was always going to move west, whether the West wanted it to or not. Mm. People in most countries that were part of the Soviet Union would quite like to have more prosperity and more freedom if they Mm. possibly can. And it's taken a concerted effort to keep that process from happening.
1: Mm. And do you think the reason that Russia has these types of leaders is because it's such a huge country?
0: Historically speaking, yes. If you think about you've got to control a massive country, where it literally takes weeks to travel somewhere and they're completely cut off, and there's no internet, no phones, no nothing. Different, completely different cultures as well. Different cultures, different ethnicities, et cetera. You had to have very strong central leadership to keep that thing going. Mm. So, absolute brutality, lopping anyone's heads off who doesn't do what you say. You have to have a strong leader. Mm. You have to have a strong leader. And also, we spent about two hundred years being ruled by the Mongols, so mm-hmm. or have a, maybe even more than that. Maybe I don't remember the exact detail. My my Russian history of that period is not not very clear. But centuries of being ruled by Mongols, and the Mongols had a, a had a very simple uh, set of laws. <laughs> yeah, the there were only two things: either you're allowed to do it, or the punishment for this is death. <laughs> that was their approach. If you ride along the road and you see somebody having a meal, and you don't sit down and eat with them. You die. Yes. If you are sitting alongside of the road and you're eating and you don't invite a stranger to eat with you, you die. Do anything else, you die. You refuse to pay tax, you die. Right? And this is what they did. Mm. So they ruled Russia with an iron fist. And, you know, Russians have carried on with that tradition. We love a strong leader.
1: Mm. Do you think part of it is that Putin could see Ukraine moving westwards, mm. democratically elected? and he was worried that the russian people might look at that and go hang on a minute they're getting a democratic mm. election you've been in power for 23 years mate
0: mm. well this is why i've always said about why why russia is so worried about these color revolutions the one in georgia mm. the, the one in, in ukraine is like it's a bad example to the children yeah it sets so a bad example mm. It's partly about NATO getting close to Russia's borders, but partly it, it sets a terrible example to the kids. Yeah. Look at Belarus. They tried to have a, a color revolution there, overthrow a guy been in power, I don't know, 50 years or however long it's been, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's a bad example.
1: Yeah. And you t- he's got quite a high approval rating, hasn't he? Well, Russia? Putin now, yeah.
0: well, massive, of course. Of course, people in Russia blame the West for what's happening and they blame the sanctions on the West.
1: How reliable is that though? Because
0: it's a... reliable.
1: Really? Yeah. Because the Chescu family had
0: Yeah, I've made this point before. It ain't one of them right now. Really? No. The country is a war and people are united behind their leader. Really? Yeah.
1: So he's stronger than ever now?
0: I think internally he's stronger than ever. Russia is going to get crippled by sanctions. Mm. But he, in terms of his control of the country, yeah, of course he's stronger than ever.
1: Mm. And do you think he thinks that he made the right decision?
0: I don't know. I imagine, like me, he's very surprised by the strength of the Western response. Mm. I don't think he expected it to be like this, from what I'm hearing. Really? Yeah.
1: That's interesting.
0: Shall we uh, do Q and A, mate?
1: Yeah, let's do. All Q&A. right. So,
0: guys, we're going to come back in a few minutes with some questions from you. We'll read the super chats. We'll read the PayPal's. We'll see what you guys are saying. Hey, Francis, do you like podcasts and politics?
1: No, mate. I'm a real man. I'm only interested in football, birds and fast
0: cars. Last time you tried to drive a car, you had a panic attack when you got overtaken by a granny.
1: She was driving very
0: aggressively and used disgusting language for a woman of her age. Well, for those of you who do like podcasts and politics, then you have to check out The Lost Debate. It's a podcast and YouTube show for political eclectics who want to escape their media bubbles and engage in good faith with ideas from across the political spectrum. It's three
1: friends from across the political spectrum discussing the big issues of the day. Ravi's a former Obama staffer and school principal. Corey's a former Fox Radio news host. And Ricky's a New York Post columnist.
0: Instead of being at each other's throats, they focus on bringing new perspectives to the table in constructive debates that sound less like Crossfire and more like discussions between real people.
1: They sound like us, apart from the whole sound like real people bit.
0: That, and they might actually know what they're talking about.
1: Check The Lost Debate out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey Francis, would you like to learn another language? No, mate. Already know
1: foreign languages perfectly. Oi, Gary. Ué, la biblioteca. You can't go on holiday, mate, without knowing where the swimming pool is. La bibliothèque is the library, you idiot. Exactly. You can never be too far away from knowledge and sexually frustrated librarians. <sighs>
0: For those of you who do want to learn a language and connect with another culture or maybe just brush up on your Spanish for the next holiday, Babbel is the app for you.
1: Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind. Things you're going to use in everyday life, like finding out where the bibliotech is.
0: Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts, meaning real people so you learn useful vocabulary and not meaningless phrases like the ones Francis keeps uttering. Babbel's teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective across multiple studies. With
1: Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italians, and and the other ones. Babbel is available as an app or online and your progress will be synced across all devices. Babbel is offering
0: our listeners six months free with a purchase of a six month subscription with our promo code, which is Trigger. Go to babbel.com forward slash play and use promo code Trigger for an extra six months for free. We're even gonna get Francis on it. You might learn English.
1: Mm, that's b a b b e l dot com forward slash play. Promo code Trigger. I use Babbel and look at me now. Yo puedo hablar español absolutamente perfecto. No, i Gary. And welcome back, guys. Uh, we are going to ask your questions to Constantine and to myself as well. So let's start off, first of all, with Stephanie. And she says, please, will you talk about the no-fly zone? Don't we need to close the sky now, not keep sitting and watching?
0: I understand the sentiment, Stephanie. I I really, really do. And I wish we could. I really, really do. You know, as you know, I have family in Ukraine. I keep saying it. I really, really, I would love for us to be able to do that. But you've got to think about what that means. What does a no-fly zone mean?
1: It means we shoot down any planes that fly in a no-fly zone.
0: Right. So now that means we are shooting down Russian planes. Mm. What does that mean?
1: Well, that is an act of hostility. It's an act of war. Yeah.
0: If I'm killing your people, that's an act of war. Mm. So then we're in World War Three. with Russia. And as I said, yes, the West can crush Russia in a conventional war if it really wanted to, after millions and millions of people dying on both sides. Mm. But you've got to understand there is no, there are some countries, like I said before, that cannot lose a war.
2: Mm.
0: And Russia is one of them. Russia has several types of weapons that uh we cannot stop hmm. it's uh, developing a nuclear powered nuclear missile n- nuclear tipped submarine or torpedo which is gi- not gigantic and it can basically swim underwater it can not swim it can move underwater uh ex- faster than it can be intercepted and attack uh coastal cities uh like los angeles new york etc and there's nothing we can do to stop it it has uh, hypersonic missiles that no anti-aircraft system can intercept. So, if Russia wants to destroy the West, it can, and if the West wants to destroy Russia, it can. So, if you want to get involved in World War III, that's how it's going to end. Mm. So, I am. My heart bleeds for Ukraine, and I wish we could do do something to to help. And every Ukrainian I speak to says, "Please, we need to close the sky." But do we? I mean. We we can't kill everybody in the world. I mean, I sometimes feel like doing it, but <laughs> for, for entirely different reasons.
1: Yeah. Well, thank well, thank you, Stephanie. So let's uh, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about a question from Dan McBean. He goes, "When Ukraine is in inverted commas defeated, what are the chances of a long running, ongoing insurgent war?" Against Russian targets supported by the West,
0: I think it's high, uh, based on the conversations that I've had, um, because of how brave and courageous and spirited the Ukrainians are. Mm. And that's my concern with the war running longer and longer. What you're going to have is more atrocities on both sides. You're going to see that more and more people uh, become go beyond the point of no return. Mm in terms of how they feel they've seen their family members killed they've seen their cities destroyed um and that will only mean that this you know that uh, horror continues mm. i think that's very likely and i think the longer the war goes on the worse that partisan war or insurgency or whatever you want to call it will be which is one of the reasons i'm not sure extending it is a good thing
1: mm. That That is the worry, isn't it? That Putin will then take over and then what will eventually happen is that it there'll be just a permanent guerrilla war.
0: Well, it won't be permanent. But look, th- if this was Adolf Hitler who mm. wanted to enslave Ukrainians and exterminate some racial minority yeah. and whatever, we'd be having a very... And it was a non-nuclear age. Mm. We'd be having a very different conversation right now. Mm. Right? But I don't think we can start a nuclear war for someone who wants to control some territory. Now, this is, sounds awful. Mm. I say again, my heart bleeds for Ukraine. I want to do everything I can to support people there. That's why we raised a ton of money. That's why I've gone on TV and, and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I, I want to do everything I can. I'm just being very honest with people, as I always try to be, mm. about what I see
2: mm.
0: based on conversations that I've had, based on the military situation, based on what's happening in Ukraine, based on what's happening in Russia. If that makes me an appeaser, I guess, I guess I'm an appeaser. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's just I'm torn. But, mm. but, but the practical reality is this. We can't start World War III and you think- in the nuclear age. And, and creating a off fly zone would do that.
1: Okay. Um, here's a question from XZ Born. He goes, what's the difference between American billionaires and Russian oligarchs? Which is a good question.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Russian oligarchs, well, it depends what you mean, Russian oligarchs or Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs. Mm, yeah. So Russian oligarchs are, at this point, essentially an appointed position. Mm. You don't rise to the position of billionaire. You get appointed to it by Vladimir Putin. Mm. So the people who are billionaires in Russia now are people who he is handpicked to be billionaires. Mm. And the people who used to be billionaires that he didn't like, either in prison or dead or in exile, mm. Right. So billionaire is, is is it's it's like head of the civil service or whatever. It's like an, the, the the leader of the country appoints them. Mm. Uh, in Ukraine, it's different. In Ukraine, they have a tremendous amount of influence on on the, the country and the mm. power and and the way it's the country is governed. Uh, American billionaires, I imagine that American billionaires, other than the owners of the big tech companies, have far less influence on what mm. happens in American politics than than they do in, in Russia or Ukraine. Particularly in Ukraine.
1: Well, thank you. That was a great answer. Tiffany Richardson asks, How are we going to convince anyone to give up their nukes in exchange for, inverted commas, our protection ever again after this? Well,
0: if you're a leader of any country that has nuclear yeah. weapons now, because the reason she's asking this question is in 1994, uh, Russia and the Western countries signed a, a, the Budapest Memorandum, which, in which Ukraine agreed to give up its nuclear weapons in exchange for guarantees of Western protection mm-hmm. and of Russian protection, right? So everybody said, look, just give away your nukes and then we'll protect you. That way, this country, which is quite unstable and not clear politically, blah, blah, blah doesn't have nukes. Well, if Ukraine had nukes, this invasion wouldn't be happening, right? Mm. So how are you going to convince? Well, th- that's why everyone wants a nuclear bomb, because mm. it's the one way you guarantee you don't get invaded.
2: Mm
1: point. Fodsax asks, when the Soviet Union broke up and they actually had a reasonable man as leader, mm. was there more we could and should have done to bring Russia further in from the cold?
0: People will argue that. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up in Moscow, eating American donated humanitarian aid, mm. right? America did try to help. What America didn't want to do and this is something Posner talks about with the Wolfords Doctrine, mm. America didn't want Russia to become a competitor. And so it tried to keep Russia in the box. What would have happened if Russia hadn't been kept in a box? Well, no one knows the answer to mm. that question. One possibility is we'd be living in peace and prosperity and friendship and whatever. The other possibility is Russia would have gone back, erased uh, itself and gone, oh, look, well, why is Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland? Uh, why aren't they part of our sphere of influence anymore? Mm. Right, And if NATO wasn't there to protect those countries, that could well be the case now, mm. right? Because the loss of the Warsaw Pact countries was very painful for the Soviet mm. Union. It was a very painful thing for the the civilizational identity, but they were sort of willing to give it up because traditionally speaking, those countries were part of Western Christian civilization mm. that's why
1: okay, Katie Kaling. Has asked, what do you think the best outcome the Ukrainian people as well as the West can hope for at this point?
0: Look, again, I just I need to preface everything by saying I'm not an expert, I don't know, but here's my opinion, right? Based on the conversations that I've had and what I understand. I think the best outcome is basically what's on the table for Ukraine now, sadly. And that is they've put up a great fight. They've shown that it's not going to be easy. Maybe. The Russians will take Kiev and then they'll surrender. I don't know. But it's basically going to be Russia taking Crimea, independence for the two eastern regions, and a cultural redirecting of Ukraine eastwards mm. towards Russia and the sort of permanent puppet Russian government.
2: Mm.
0: What can I say? I mean, that I don't see a better outcome. Mm. The, the reason that I don't see a better outcome is, you know, the... I don't see how you're going to get Russia to, to give up on those ambitions, especially now. When, when yes, they're taking great casualties. Yes, the economy is taking great damage, but they are making progress. And they, you know, it's only been two weeks, man. Mm. And they're making progress towards what they're trying to do, which is encircle the army, take the big cities. Once they do that, yeah, you can have an insurgency, but what's that going to change?
1: Do you think it's made the West look impotent?
0: I think the reality is is that on this one the west kind of was impotent. Mm. What it did though it it kept signaling weakness and mm-hmm. the, so it's allowed Russia to do this. But I've been surprised by the strength of the response. If you remember I said 2 weeks ago in, a, in perhaps somewhat melodramatically that NATO's over. I don't know that that's not true.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it could not be true. Mm. It could be not true. In the you know I don't know what would happen if like if Russia invaded Lithuania today I'm pretty sure we'd strike back.
2: Hmm.
0: If Russia invades Lithuania five years from now, well, it depends on what's happened in the world. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I do see so what you're saying. So
0: it's hard to say. I don't I don't feel that the the West has been particularly weak on this. It's done everything it can. Do
1: you know who's actually, and I never thought I'd say this, come hmm. out of this with some credit, it's, all, it's, it's Boris Johnson.
0: He has. And by the way, look, I, I texted Nigel Farage the other day going, you know, we had that big argument. Mm, i'm starting to see your point Mm. you know
1: and just for the viewers and the listeners well he was saying
0: we should say to to russia we won't let ukraine join nato would that have stopped it it probably would have stopped it in the interim yeah but then you end up in the same thing where russia basically then takes over ukraine either culturally or otherwise
2: Mm.
0: one way or another russia would be in control that's what it means to say ukraine won't be joining nato so I think this was always going to happen. Maybe in the short term, this could have been avoided. Maybe we, I, I can see you've got another joke coming.
1: No, no, no. It just—I uh, uh, was discussing with my very left-wing girlfriend mm. about this, and she put forward uh, that exact argument. And I said, "You have the exact same opinion as Nigel Farage."
0: Mm. I bet she was happy.
1: She was furious. Well, she—but it's—it's it's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah. It's an interesting point.
0: I, I don't think that would have avoided this issue in the long yeah. run. Uh, do
1: you think it was inevitable, really? The moment the nukes were given up, the moment they didn't become part of NATO, Ukraine's fate was sealed. I know it's a horrible question to
0: yeah, ask. Yeah, I do because for the reasons that I told you, because the people of Ukraine wanted to move west. It's what they it's not the CIA didn't manipulate them into doing mm-hmm. that, right? They want like my granddad, he was speaking Ukrainian and what and, and lots of other people. They wanted to move in a direction of having their own country that was not aligned with Russia that's mm-hmm. what they wanted so they and as long as they had democracy mm-hmm. they would keep electing leaders that would push the country in that
1: direction so this yeah. was always going to happen yeah. Donna Willis asked do you think putin will retaliate soon against the west because of the of sanctions and the support we have given ukraine and if so in what form
0: well, I think they will probably try to retaliate against some of the, the recent sanctions like the oil embargo and all of that. Although, it's only Britain and America, really, that's done that. The countries that actually buy most of their oil and gas are in Europe, and they're not doing that. Mm. So, we'll have to see. Um, we'll have to see. Mm. Probably. I'd imagine so. Okay. They did last time. In 2014, they, like, banned Polish apples or some shit. <laughs> uh, uh.
1: The corporate withdrawal is from the cancel culture playbook, and this is from Japal two 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 two. You for or against? Does it make Putin weaker, stronger? Would it be there's a question that I already asked? Would it be dangerous having a Russia unplugged from the West, separate internet, etc.?
0: I mean, it's already there. Mm. So I think it's very difficult to say. There are two options this can go. The two ways this can go. One is. Russia, for some reason, just goes, you know what? This isn't worth it. We're pulling out. And then we, we go through a process of de-escalation. I don't see that happening. The other process, unfortunately, I see happening is Russia carries on. We are in Cold War two, and we're going to have to win. And the way we defeated the Soviet Union is by forcing them to destroy their own economy.
1: Yeah. Sending them bankrupt, basically.
0: Basically. So maybe that's what happens.
1: hmm Edvard Gotto asks, hey, hey, you, do you guys think World War III has started? I'm low-key kind of scared, to be honest. And this might seem Mm. like people will look at this and go, don't be ridiculous. There's a hell of a lot of people out there who are very, very anxious about this, who are terrified, who are thinking, is this the start, actually, of World War III?
0: Well, if it is, then we're all going to die.
1: All right, mate, keep it light.
0: In which case, if I say now that I don't think it is, <laughs> I'm going to be right either way. Either it isn't or we're all dead, in which case no one is going to come back and go, ah, I told you. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say no. I don't think it is, but mm. we are as close to it as we've come for a very long time.
1: Yeah.
0: For 60 years, for mm. exactly 60 years mm. since the Cuban Missile Crisis. We haven't been closer than we are now to mm. World War
1: Three. But you don't think this is? No, because there's a lack of appetite on all sides for war, basically. Yeah, yeah. okay. Bam Bam Buffer asks a question, asks a very good question, actually. He goes, How about compromise and send the loot specifically to help injured Ukrainian military? Send the Uh, loot, yeah, the the money that we've raised, or some of it,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, the charities we'll give it to will partly be for that,
1: yeah. Okay, so I think that's a very, very good idea. So, Mm. thank you very much. Mm. uh, Bam Bam Buffer. Peter Ryan has sent one. I don't know how, how true it is. Mm. Uh, there might be a rumor that you've heard f- uh, mm. from your family in Russia. He goes, there have been some reports that Uncle Vlad has cancer. Big mm. if true. There's nothing more terrifying than a man with nothing to lose. Is that a rumor that is going around Russia? Or is that I haven't heard that. Okay. Uh, Human Hugh, Hugh M. Bean goes... It sounds like you've given up on Ukraine. I realise Putin will probably take it, but I thought it. But I thought making it as hard as possible was the best option for everyone in the long term. Open to your thoughts. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description, or find the
0: exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.